Last week, the Gospel of Mark introduced us to John, who baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River, right? And, and as Jesus is baptized, the heavens part, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and the Father speaks audibly from heaven. And then immediately following that baptism, Jesus spends 40 days out in the wilderness. And if you're wondering why we didn't talk more about those 40 days in the wilderness, don't you worry. We will come back to that on the first Sunday in Lent. As for today, we're looking at the launch of Jesus' ministry. Beginning in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Okay. Jesus knew... John to be the forerunner. John's calling was to go before the Messiah and to prepare the way. And so, as, as long as John is still ministering and baptizing and preaching in the wilderness, Jesus is content to wait. But once John is arrested, once that voice in the wilderness is silenced, Jesus knows the way is ready. Jesus knows that his time has come. And there there are two things I want us to notice in verse 14. Um, Number one, the life and ministry of John the forerunner foreshadows the life and ministry of Jesus the Messiah. Last week we saw that uh, the stories of, of Moses and Elijah were in the background as John was ministering in the wilderness and as Jesus was coming to him to be baptized in the Jordan. So uh, let's consider Moses and Elijah again. The ministry of Moses ended on a high note. The ministry of Elijah ended on a high note. But John is arrested and later executed. Not a high note. And and the question is, what, what does this mean for the life and ministry of the Messiah? What does the ministry of John the forerunner Teach us to expect about the ministry of Jesus, the Messiah. Number two, the the second thing to notice in verse 14 is that John and Jesus have two very different mission strategies. John had been a, a stationary prophet. The people were expected to come out to him. But Jesus immediately begins a traveling ministry. Jesus is a wandering prophet. And this this marks a very important shift. In fact, I think it mirrors the shift from Old Covenant to New Covenant. John represents the mission strategy of come and see. And fundamentally, that was the mission strategy of the Old Covenant. For the most part, that was Israel's mission strategy. To build this glorious temple and a glorious holy city that the nations were invited to come to. But... Whereas John represents this this come and see strategy, Jesus represents a go and tell strategy, which is the basic missionary model we see throughout the New Testament. Go, therefore, to the nations. And the logic of that shift is, I think, tied to the nature of God's kingdom, which Jesus announces in verse 15. God had always ruled over Israel. But now, the reign of God was being extended beyond the borders of Israel. 
The good news of the gospel is an international message, or it isn't the gospel. According to the Apostle Paul, when the gospel loses its, its international component, it ceases to be the gospel. So keep that shift in mind, that, that shift from come and see to go and tell. Uh, because here in a bit, I think our passage reinforces that same point again. Okay, so what was this gospel that Jesus was preaching? Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, these days when when someone says repent and believe the gospel, what that person probably means is convert to Christianity, right? And it's true that God wants us to turn away from sin, and it's true that God wants us to follow him. Um, But Jesus was not saying, convert to Christianity. There's there's an ancient Jewish prayer called the Kaddish, and the the Kaddish dates back to the centuries leading up to the birth of Jesus. Um, And it's still prayed by faithful Jews even today. If you've ever seen the movie An American Pickle, Anybody? Okay, like one person. Uh, it's, it's, the Kaddish is the prayer that Seth Rogen prays at the end of that movie. Check it out. Um, it opens by quoting Ezekiel thirty-eight twenty-three, which says, I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. And then the very next line of the prayer, the very next line of the Kaddish goes like this. May God give rain to his kingship in your lifetimes. May God give rain to his kingship in your lifetimes. So I don't don't mean to imply that Jesus is quoting from the Kaddish. But at minimum, it does demonstrate that Jesus' contemporaries would have understood what he meant when he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. They would have understood that God was giving reign to his kingship in their lifetimes. The time is fulfilled. This this is the decisive moment. Now is the opportune time. The wait is over. The reign of God's kingship has begun. And so when Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel, he's not saying, convert to Christianity. Actually, he's calling them to be faithful Jews. He's calling the people of God to wake up to this new reality. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is here. The reign of God has begun. He will show his greatness and his holiness and make himself known in the eyes of many nations. God is establishing his authority over all the rulers of the world. From Pharaoh to Herod to Caesar to Joe Biden to Vladimir Putin. So when he says, repent and believe, he means come to grips with what God is doing now. And then rearrange your lives accordingly. Because the reign of God will usher in this this age of of peace and justice, and you're going to want to be on the right side of that. All right. So, 
Following that sort of announcement, following that sort of announcement, we might expect Jesus to do something big, something ostentatious. We might expect him to to launch some new initiative. Some people may have expected him to start assembling an army. Something big. But Jesus is not the Messiah we might expect. Verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. You know, um, just in case you don't know why people cast nets into the sea. Um, And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jesus does not go big. Having declared that the kingdom of God is at hand, having declared that the reign of God's kingship has begun, which is a cosmic message, Jesus walks down to the lakeside in order to recruit some fishermen. The kingdom of God comes, not with fanfare, but by the gradual gathering of a ragtag group of socially insignificant people. And once again, this entire scene is reminiscent of Elijah and Elisha. We read about it in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elisha is out in the field plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. That's the number of the 12 tribes of Israel. But Elisha is working the land. He's working the land when Elijah comes and says, follow me. So in both of these stories, 1 Kings 19 and Mark 1, the details are significant. The details are suggestive and meaningful. When Elijah calls Elisha, he's working the land. When Jesus calls his first disciples, they are fishing. And and this actually hits on a major thematic shift between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Prior to Jesus, the biblical narrative is dominated by shepherds and sheep and land. We don't encounter fishermen. There is no single instance in the Old Testament of a person ever even eating a fish. But when Jesus arrives, the biblical narrative is no longer dominated by shepherds and sheep and land. It's dominated by fishermen and fish and bodies of water. So we see a shift in the Bible from the land and the people who work it to the sea and the people who work it. None of Israel's leaders were fishermen. And none of Jesus' disciples were shepherds. What's going on here? Well, I think it is tied to what I said earlier about the difference between a come-and-see missionary strategy and a go-and-tell missionary strategy. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was tied to the land. They depended upon the land for peace and prosperity. They even depended upon the land for proper worship. All of the animals sacrificed in worship were land animals. And the sea 
and fish, on the other hand, were, were associated with the Gentile nations. The sea and fish were associated with non-Jewish peoples. So the fact that Jesus recruits fishermen is highly significant. It suggests a fundamental change to the nature of Israel's mission. A fundamental change to the way in which God's people would engage with the rest of the world. With the coming of Jesus, the people of God are no longer tied to the land in the same way. The mission of God is no longer to dwell in the land as the nations come and see. The mission of God is now a call to leave the safety and comfort of the land and to travel across seas, to travel out into a sea of Gentile nations. So, listen, I I do think it's inspiring to see how these disciples respond to their call. Mark tells us that they immediately follow. And that's, that's despite having responsibilities. And that's despite having the stability of a family business. Zebedee even had hired servants, it says. That's despite having their futures pretty much mapped out for them. That's despite parental expectations. That's despite their loyalty to Ken. It is inspiring. But when we, when we read the Gospel of Mark alongside the other Gospels, I think it's clear that, that Simon and Andrew, James and John, already knew Jesus. And they, they probably already knew the content of his preaching. So this is not a stranger coming to them, and they're like, oh, okay, cool, I'll follow you. When, when we read that they immediately left their nets and their boats and their families, it's, it's worth pointing out that this was not a total renunciation. Again, the, the other Gospels make it clear that they did maintain those family relationships. And they even held on to their boats and fishing equipment. So uh, although the dis- decision to leave Jesus did mark a decisive shift, a radical major change in lifestyle, This was not a total renunciation of everything. Jesus was not asking his disciples to be unloving or unwise. In fact, Jesus was really asking them to do what they already do best. Keep on fishing, but be fishers of men. So, so there, is, there is a sense in which this marks a decisive shift for the disciples of Jesus, but there's also a sense in which Jesus is asking them to keep on doing the same thing, but with new purpose, with a different goal. You are fishermen. Do what you do best, but do it for the kingdom of God. You are a teacher. Do what you do best, but do it for the kingdom of God. You are a nurse. Do what you do best, but do it for the kingdom of God. You're an engineer. Do what you do best, whatever that is. Do it for the kingdom of God. You are a homemaker. Do what you do best, but do it for the kingdom of God. Make no mistake, Jesus is looking for disciples who are willing to leave everything in order to follow him. But at the same time, he, he wants to fill your everyday life 
with new meaning and new purpose. I can't tell you exactly what that looks like for you. That's not the place of a sermon. Um, It's something that you discover for yourself as you follow him. The kingdom of God comes not, not with fanfare, but with the gradual gathering of a ragtag group of socially insignificant people. The kingdom of God comes not with fanfare, but by the gradual gathering of you and me and our children and our neighbors and then ultimately the nations. So, so please permit, permit Jesus to radically reorient your life. Make the decision to follow him and then let him teach you to do what you already do best, but with new meaning and new purpose. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's calling you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, show your greatness and your holiness and make yourself known in the eyes of many nations. Jesus, may the reign of your kingship grow and expand in our lifetimes. And Holy Spirit, um, teach us, teach each and every one of us what it means to follow Jesus today. Give us the joy and the honor of participating in the expansion of your kingdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.